You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to continue our series titled The Great Expectation. It's all about the advent, or in other words, it's, uh, it's the arrival or the comings and the first arrival of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, came in the form of a baby born in a manger. The prophet Isaiah said, Emmanuel, God is with us. The gift came from heaven to earth because we couldn't go from earth to heaven. And so God made a way for us. And the second advent, or the arrival, is one we're still waiting for. It's Jesus Christ coming again as king over all kings, Lord over all lords. And we say what the early church said. We say the words Maranatha. And we say that with our heads lifted, with expectation. That's really what the advent is all about. You see, this Christmas season is known for some pretty fun things. We already see that happening in our homes we see it happening in our living rooms, presents and lights, church family, your own family traditions. You know, I thank the Lord for Annette because I grew up in a climate that uh, didn't indicate there was Christmas. Uh, one, one Christmas day, I, I rode my 10-speed around the, the neighborhood. It was 85 degrees. You know, that's just not Christmas weather. And then I, then I meet Annette, and we get married, and she has returned Christmas to my life. If it weren't for her, I'd probably be a Scrooge. I hate to say that. I hate to admit it, but uh, she has helped me a whole lot through the Christmas season. And while many of us are experiencing fun and joy of Christmas, there are others who struggle during the Christmas season. For many of my dear friends, this Christmas won't be an easy one because this year a loved one or a family member is not around the Christmas tree. And I just don't want to skip over this. I want to take time and acknowledge that and to be able to pray and be able to ask God for his comfort, for his peace, for all that he gives us in his grace during a time that can be difficult. So what I want to do right now is just pray together. Would you just bow your head with me? Father, I just pray for those today that need your comfort, that need your grace. You are such an amazing God. You're a good God. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us hope today, the hope that can only come from you. It's an eternal hope that you would lift us up. And Lord Jesus, that we acknowledge your, uh, your great salvation in our lives, and we thank you for that. Uh, be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, while others might not be with us, there are other reasons others might not be with us as well because they're estranged from relationships, they're not there, and so it takes away from the Christmas celebration. So when there are people missing from your Christmas experience, it can intensify our heartache, it can intensify our pain and our despair. You see, despair is defined as the absence of or diminished hope. And that's really what that's about. And if you have your outline with you today, you can pull it out. We're going to take a few notes, and we're going to talk about what the Bible tells us moves us from despair to deliverance, because that's the hope of Christmas, that we get moved from that place of despair to a place of deliverance. Throughout history, God's people had a history of despair, and God's message to his people then and now is the message of great hope. And we have hope today. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about our problems and where they began. It was in the garden, the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when they fell into sin. And, and we, we get this first glimpse of Christmas in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If you remember the passage, this is really the place that God 
began to rescue us the moment we started to fall. That is God's great grace. That's how he expedites salvation in our lives. In Genesis 3.15, it tells us, and it's God speaking to Satan and saying, he will bruise your heel. Uh, You will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And he's speaking of the cross. He's speaking of salvation, which we all need. You see, we were born into sin. And no one can work their way out of sin. No one can get closer to God by their works, by the things they hope to do in life, the things they do do in life. It's not about an earthly resume that gets us favor with God. It's really about our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. And we all need that faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Everyone is born into sin, and that's why we celebrate the first Christmas. God intervened and became flesh in baby Jesus. Our only hope is by putting our trust in Jesus Christ and we put our trust in him because he's our deliverer. And that's what we hear during the season of Advent, that we need a deliverer and God has sent us a deliverer. So what I want you to do this morning, if you would with me, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. It's to the right of the book of Psalms and the other poetic books. You can just kind of flip over a little bit. And I'm going to give you, while you do that, give you a little background about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet, and he, he, he wrote the book 700 years before Jesus ever showed up on this planet. It's an amazing book. In fact, a lot of theologians call the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel. Uh, so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. And the reason they call Isaiah the fifth gospel is because there's such graphic and accurate detail of a Messiah, of Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't read through passages in the book of Isaiah without thinking, wow, this is, this is directly pointing us to Jesus Christ, our Savior, our, our Messiah. And Isaiah chapter 9, that's one of those passages. But there's so much to this great book. In fact, this book... Isaiah is the second most quoted Old Testament author in the New Testament and by Jesus. Some of you might already know what the first is, and that's the book of Psalms. So you have a lot more chapters to choose from in the book of Psalms. So so Isaiah ranks up there. The third most quoted is the book of Deuteronomy. That's the writings of Moses. And so you have Jesus quoting Isaiah often. He's quoting Isaiah, and he's pointing to himself as the Messiah, This was written during a time of great despair. This was written during the Babylonian exile. And this was a torturous time for the children of Israel. Uh, The Babylonians had come in and they had invaded the land and specifically had gone to Jerusalem. They burned down the temple. They burned down Solomon's temple. And what they did was, was, uh, was hideous, what they did to those people. Because what they did is they didn't just invade once or twice. They invaded several times over a course of about 70 years. So imagine trying to get settled. Imagine trying to get on with life after a first invasion and another one comes. So they didn't only come and, and, and suppress or oppress the people, but they would come and they would take the best of the best of the people. So they would come into Israel and they would take away what we would consider today scholars, your scientists, your best thinkers, your best people. And that's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up in Babylon. That's why Daniel ended up in Babylon. That's why some of these people ended up there because they were the best 
that Israel had to offer. And so they came in and they, they raped and they pillaged and they took the best. And imagine the kind of things that you had to live under, the oppression, the despair that you had to deal with if you were part of this exile. It was horrendous. It was horrible. In this time of great despair, Isaiah speaks of a new day. He wants the people of Israel to know that a a new day is coming, the promise of a Savior, a Messiah. And so he starts explicitly talking about that. He acknowledges this despair, and I think we have to do that in our lives. We have to look at those places that are dark. We have to look at those places where there's despair. But we also have to know that there is a light. We also have to know that there is hope. And that's exactly what Isaiah does for us. No matter how bad or how long or how lost the cause might seem, Isaiah says deliverance is on the way. And we are people of that kind of hope. That we can say no matter how hard it gets, how dark it is, how despairing it is there is hope on the way we can always count on Jesus Christ you look at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 and it says this nevertheless there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress in despair in the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea Beyond the Jordan. Now I want you to pay attention to that very first word in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. The first word in verse 1 brings hope. Anytime you see this word, you have to pay attention. In fact, it's phrased in another way in the New Testament. The phrase is, but God. You know, there's all this hardship, there's all this trial, there's all this trouble. And then you see this phrase, but God. You see, that makes all the difference in the world. When you're going through a hard time and you hear God speak to you through his word, through his Holy Spirit, he speaks those words, but God, that means there's help on the way, (laughs) that there's hope on the way. Well, in the Old Testament, this is the word they used. It was so important because it was what God's people longed to hear. They longed to hear this word. This is the turning point of Isaiah. He's talked about the depression. He's talked about the despair. And then in verse 1, the first word, he says, nevertheless. Nevertheless. It's such an important word. They took three words and made it one. What he's saying, it's, it's changing now. Your hearts can be lifted up. There's, there's hope it's all changing. It's like, it's like reading a, a book or watching a movie. There's nothing that good is happening. Bad things are happening all around in this story. And you're reading it and you're wonder, wondering where it's going. And then the hero shows up and then you hear that word, nevertheless. Annette took off on Friday with the interns, took them out for their last hurrah before they leave on Christmas break. And I thought, perfect guys night out I'm the only guy you know and so I do what sometimes I do I ordered some Chinese food and I I watch movies that you know maybe Annette isn't going to sit down and watch with me so I watched the Marvel movie Venom have you seen that you know don't think ill of me when I tell you that but I just wanted to see what this was about it's a Marvel movie my goodness gracious and I wondered all the way through I mean 
It was like 70% of the way through, and I'm thinking, how is this story going to change? This is just all bad. And then you start to see something change in the movie. It's where the storyline begins to flip from despair to hope. And I was thinking, nevertheless, (laughs) nevertheless. Say that word with me. Just say nevertheless. nevertheless. It's a good word because that word does bring hope to us. The hero shows up, saves the day. That's the significance of the word nevertheless. And in this passage, God is going to make clear three promises to his people. In their despair, in their hardship, God speaks nevertheless. He says, hope is on the way. And God always brings hope through his word. You know that. I mean, you've had that happen. You've experienced that yourself where you've been in a time of despair or confusion or darkness. You open God's word. You read something that you've read before, maybe a maybe hundred times before, and you look at it. And because of where you are and how God's Holy Spirit is relating to you at that time, the words pop off the page and they bring hope. That's the promise of the living word. God's word brings hope. So we have three promises here, and I love it. In these few verses, promise number one, in the darkness of despair, God promises light. Never forget that. In the darkness of despair, God always promises light, that God will bring light in a dark, dark world. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so every time you see darkness used in the Bible, it's describing what life is like without God. Uh, That's what the author is doing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. When you see darkness, it, it means that the people are living without his love. They're living without the radical love of God in their life. They're, they're, they're living without being obedient to his word. It's when we refuse his ways over our ways. It's in this place and these places of life that can be very, very dark. Very dark. Isn't it interesting that darkness does the same thing to us today? I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I don't like it. I don't like being in dark places where there's no light and it doesn't seem like there's a way out. Darkness like that creates panic. And panic creates despair, especially if that darkness is extended. If that darkness goes longer than you're way comfortable with, whatever that might be for you. When my kids were growing up, the the thing they hated the most, and, and that was darkness. They didn't want to be in a dark room. I remember my oldest son got trapped underneath a, a, little, uh, a little closet underneath the stairs at home. And he, he started yelling and screaming. And you could hear the panic in his voice. There's nothing like a, a voice of panic and darkness. Have you, you see, it's different. It just sounds different. When, when you're in darkness and you panic, your voice just turns. It goes different. And we heard this voice screaming. We ran downstairs and opened the door and he came out. He was so relieved when light shined on his face. And he just looked at us and he says, whoa, it was late in there. It was really, really late in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of ways we frame darkness, isn't it? It was late in there. It was dark. I was afraid. I was absolutely afraid, and I've been there before. I can identify with this kid, but the hope is this. Nevertheless, God brings light. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him 
There is no darkness, and I love this, at all. At all. Not, not a smidge. Not a sliver. Not a shadow. In God, there is no darkness at all. See, the darkness that brings despair is a scary thing. And uh, Isaiah says that the Messiah, Jesus, will bring light. It's interesting to me when you read through Scripture and you start from the very beginning and you go to the very end. It's interesting to me that the very first words that God speaks are, let there be light. He knew that we weren't made or were going to be made by him to be people who would tolerate, who could handle darkness. And that's why he creates light. It was light that guided shepherds. It was light that guided wise men to Jesus. And then in John 8, 12, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. He says this. It says when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. So in this oppressed time, in this time of despair, because it was similar to Isaiah's day where they were living, the time of Christ when he was born, very similar, being oppressed not by Babylonians, but by Romans. Same kind of feeling of despair. And Jesus comes into the picture, the Messiah, the light of the world. In this dark place, he says, look no more. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love the way that John depicts light. We see it in the Gospel of John. We see it in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. If you get a chance, if you really get a chance this Christmas season, go to those little epistles and look those up and, and start reading about the hope that John gives us. And he uses the word light and he uses the word children. And all these words are endearing to us. And, it, and, it's, and it's like we're listening to our, our grandpa talk to us. We need those kind of voices today. We need people speaking hope. And that's what Jesus says when he steps up here in John chapter 8. And Jesus passes this light along. He says, not only am I the light of the world, but all who believe in me will carry light. And if you carry the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus Christ, don't hide it. Don't be embarrassed. But let it shine. Let it shine like it shines on a hill. Let it shine brightly because light guides. Light brings hope. Light reminds people, nevertheless, hope is coming. That's exactly what, what light does. And, and Jesus says that about us. He says, you are, I love you, he says, you are the salt and you are the light. You, you, you're what kind of holds things together and lets things shine that bring hope to others. And what we're doing is really reflecting the light of Jesus Christ in our life. In a dark world, a time of despair. That's one of the reasons we gather together for our candlelight services coming a week from Monday. We're going to be in here. And one of the things I always think about when we get together like this and we light candles, <laughs> I just think about this right here. I think about Jesus being the light of the world. And, and, and then where he is and where we are, and we shine that light, there is no, absolutely no darkness at all. So I just encourage you, bring family and friends. Spend some time, and we celebrate the light of the world. Jesus made us a promise, and he said, you will shine. 
with my life in you, Jesus in us is the hope of God's glory here on this planet. So there are three promises that Isaiah gives us. Uh, The first is about light. And the second promise is this, in the pain of despair, because that's what despair brings. It brings pain. In the pain of despair, God promises joy. (laughs) I was reading this the other day. I wasn't going through a joyful day. And I was thinking to myself, I don't, I don't know if I could actually say all this because I, I don't feel it right now. But I realize that true joy goes deeper than what I feel. Uh, true joy goes down and sets on the bedrock of confidence in Jesus Christ. That I'm confident in Him. That I hope in Him. That I trust in Him. And sometimes that fall seems like a long way, doesn't it? Uh, from getting used to just being happy to actually experiencing true and real joy. Despair is painful. And in these verses, Isaiah is making a hope-filled proclamation. If you look at verses 3 and 4, he says this, You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat... You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. It's interesting when you go back and look at verse 3. In verse 3, Isaiah mentions joy or a derivative of joy four times. Packs it into one little verse. He he says, listen, don't, don't forget that we have joy in God. That that's where our true joy is. It's in God. He says the nation will shrink before God causes it to grow again. That's what he's referring to. He's saying, yes, hardship will come. And I I think this is similar. I really do. I think it's similar to our own lives where there's a pruning that might go on. You know, there's something that's hard, something being pruned out of our lives so that God could put something better in our lives. Because whenever God prunes, whenever God takes something away, he always brings something better. Hard for us to imagine. It's really hard to recognize or feel or think you're experiencing that when you're in some sort of despair. But that's what Isaiah says here. This is a huge promise to these people. Their ears are hearing this promise. It's huge because the pain of despair is at its peak in the Babylonian exile. Right now, it's at its worst. And the audacity of God to speak through the prophet Isaiah to say something that seems to be furthest from reality. The furthest thing from reality. God speaks at the peak of darkness, at the peak of despair, because God wants his people to know They haven't been abandoned, and there are better days ahead. Don't you think that the best time to see a light, the best time to experience joy is at the peak of despair? (laughs) That's that's really when it shines the brightest. Instead of complaining about the dark, maybe we should just light a candle. And maybe we, we should just let our light shine. And then you look at verse 4. It's a big deal here because... We don't really maybe understand the context of this, but, but these people that heard this with their ears, that, that read the writings of the prophet Isaiah, they knew exactly what Isaiah was talking about when he was talking about Midian's defeat. Still in the annals of, 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 of uh, Jewish history, this is a big deal. The Midianites were 
terrifying people. They pillaged and they plundered and they took advantage of Israel in their worst condition. It's when they were transient. It's when they were moving. It's when they were unsettled. It's when the kings of the day really weren't governing well. What happens is the enemy takes advantage of that and goes after the fringe. And, 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 and the Midianites would raid. They were ambushers. They were vicious. They screamed and yelled and chanted and they worshipped their gods before and during and after their pillaging. And so it was terrifying to, to what the eye would see, what the ear would hear, the Midianites, bad people. And so Isaiah mentions the, the, the Midianites here and what he says here, he says, man, we had victory over the Midianites it was one of those victories of all times. It was one of those victories that you'll never forget. It's one of those victories that we'll always talk about. And the reason it's talked about is because the hero in the story, is he's an unlikely hero. He didn't even want to be a hero. He was hiding from the Midianites. He was. He was hiding behind a press, and God spoke to him. And you know what God says to him? God always does this when we... When we, when, when we hide and when we run and we think ill of ourselves, you know what he says? God says, hey, man, mighty man of valor, come out of here. Mighty man of valor, quit hiding. You know, he's looking at us. Mighty woman, mighty man of valor, don't hide. Come on out. And then he anoints Gideon. In Judges chapter 6 through 8, you see this great story that's risen up. It's, it, it's one of those stories that is highlighted, again, in the history of Israel. And, and, and what does he do? What God does is he says to Gideon, you're going to fight these Midianites. You see them out there. They're camped a few miles away. This is what I want you to do. I don't want you to arm up. I want you to arm down. <laughs> Craziest thing. Sounds like the dumbest thing to do. Well, we need as many as we can because these people are vicious. And God says, no, let's, let's, let, let, let's arm down. Go through this process. No, still got too many. We'll go through No, still have too many. And what does this happen? What happens here is it gets narrowed down to 300 fighting men. 300. And what happens is God brings victory. Why did he do that? Because he wanted all of us to know today, even now as we hear the story, to know it's always about the miraculous work of God. It's not about our strength. It's not about our power. It's not about our flesh. It's not about what we accomplish. It's about giving God glory. And saying, man, God, you did that. And I know something like that in my life. You did almost something like that for me, too. That's why this is such a good story. And years later, when the people hear this from Isaiah, they know exactly what it means. God can overcome incredible odds. God can overcome incredible odds, and he shows his strength when things are stacked against him. That when it's the darkest, that's when God's light shines the brightest. You see, happiness is based on happening and circumstances we kind of get accustomed to that I might even go so far as to say uh, we might even get addicted to happiness just a thought it's what brings us pleasure at the moment it's what we think we need at the moment but we know that it kind of runs out after a while we need, we need some more of that we need some more of that happiness juice keep us going but joy is different it's lasting, and it comes from Jesus in us. Joy isn't giddy and bubbly all the time. 
Don't misunderstand joy. Joy comes from resolve that goes deep from the heart and deep into the heart that says, even like Job said, even if he slays me, yet will I trust in him. You see, joy goes beyond my, my, my flesh. It goes beyond my natural life. It goes beyond happiness, the things I experience. Joy is greater than that. It's a confidence in the one who has saved us time and time again. That when you've got a history with God, you're going to find out he just loves to save you because you're always getting in trouble. He loves to come to your rescue because you need to be rescued. And so he comes and he saves us, and it's over time we develop the confidence in his faithfulness. Last week I was just kind of spending time alone with God, just thinking. You know, thinking about life. I don't know if you do that much, but just thinking about taking inventory of what I've been doing and what God wants me to do and all these things and where do I put my hope, where's my joy, all those kinds of things were coming up. So I get this sermon about a week before you do. And, and, I'm, and I'm processing this. And I'm thinking about it. And, and I came to a resolution, and I want to tell you what my resolution is. And maybe it'll help you. I need to live more for the things I would die for. I need to live more for the things I would die for. Living too much for stuff. But what is it? What is it in my life that I would actually I would actually die for? I know a lot of that's in this room. I know a lot of that is in these pages. I know a lot of that is places and people that have to do with eternity and not, not temporary stuff. So my resolve is to live more for the things I would die for. And I know in that there is great joy. So here's the third promise. I love this promise. The third promise is this. In the depth of despair, God promises a Savior. Never forget that. In the depth of despair, God always promises a Savior. See, they didn't need another king, by the way. <laughs> you know, remember, re- remember how the kings got started. It's because some people in Israel, and the majority rules in this case, and, and it became a theocracy, and, or it was a theocracy, and then became a kingship, and Saul was the first king, and, and Samuel the prophet says, you are going to rue the day that that happened. You are going to regret the day that that happened. And folks, it only took about two to three generations before they rude the day. That's all it took. That's that's the length of time it takes for us to mess stuff up. It doesn't take very long. I mean, when you look at the scope of history, it really doesn't take us long to just muck it up. They didn't need another king. In fact, Ah, the kings were their problems. King Ahaz was ruling at this time. He, he refused to listen to God. He refused to listen to the prophets. And guess what? Babylonians, the enemy, always takes advantage of things like that. I mean, here it is. The kings are the problem. They got them into trouble. But Isaiah says that an eternal solution is on the way. 
It's not a political leader. It's not a political solution. But it is a true savior. And he says so in verses 6 through, uh, through 7. I-, I love this. For to us a child is born. That's prophetic. I can't, I can't imagine the other things that could be said here other than that because we know it's true. But to us a child is born. A baby is saving us. Isaiah sees it. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The the tenacious will of God will make sure this happens. When you think everything else is unraveling, God is going to make sure this happens. This is beautiful because the depths of despair can't be changed unless God acts in a miraculous way. The depths of despair, oh, the tides of the despair will not be shifted until God shows up and shifts them with his mighty hand. With the zeal of the God, with the zeal of God, he says this is going to happen. His word says it's going to happen. So here's what we need to hold fast to. Our despair does not overwhelm God's promises. I think if you remember anything, if anything settles in before you go today, that's what I would remember. I don't know the kind of despair you might experience, but what you can know is that my despair does not overwhelm God's provision. That God's promise is greater than your despair. God's promises are eternal. I know that I know that there have been several that have gone through a tough season and we, we acknowledge that and, and we look at that and maybe the last six months have been a hard time and God, God shows up in the middle of that despair. And I think that's the promise that, that we want to hold on to. I remember, I remember how God has worked in my despair. I, I remember how he's worked in your despair. I remember about this time of year, several years ago, a couple walked up to me after church and, and they asked me if I would go pray for their friend who was in the hospital. And I said, yeah, I'd love to pray for your friend who's in the hospital. And they said, well, we want you to know the state of affairs. We want you to know his condition. I said, sure, what is it? What's he dealing with? And they said, well, he... He's actually in hospice right now, and, um, and he's dying of AIDS. He's dying of AIDS. Would you still go visit him? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So um, I went and visited Gary, sat next to his bed. He was pretty emaciated. Uh, got to hold hands and talk. In the middle of the first conversation, he asked me a question. He said, why are you here? 
And I said, I just figured you needed a friend. And he says, I really do need a friend. My family has left me. The church has left me. And I'm in despair. I'm in total, total darkness. I didn't say much, just loved on him and then came back a couple days later and did the same thing. And he asked the same question, why are you here? (laughs) I said, I just figured you needed a friend. He goes, I really do. We had a few conversations like that. And the last conversation I had with Gary, I I, uh, sat next to him and he asked the same question. And I said, I think you need a friend. And he says, you know, to be a friend like that to me, you must have had a friend like that for you. And I said, you know, I have. And it's Jesus, the light of the world. And he looked at me and he said, can I know him? In the darkest place of despair. Life, he knew it, ebbing away. And I said, absolutely. And uh, we prayed together. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And his countenance totally changed. It went from darkness to light. And he was lifting his hands up. And he was saying, no more despair. Salvation has come. For the next week, he was telling all of his friends who came in that he was a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. He passed away not long after that. A believer in Jesus Christ. He found Jesus in a time of despair. And he said before he died, he told me this, tell my other friends who are in despair that there is light and there is hope. He asked me to do the memorial service. So we figured that we'd probably do it in a place that just didn't represent church a lot, not that we're ashamed of that, but I... We knew that there were going to be different people from different society and community, and uh, there were. They all showed up. We met in a building back here, and when I walked in, everyone had their arms folded. They were waiting for that hellfire and brimstone. (laughs) Go ahead and judge us. And I just told them the story that I just told you. And at the end... Several came to faith in Jesus Christ. Light always conquers over darkness. Never church, never family, ever forget light is stronger than darkness. And hope is stronger than despair. Would you bow your head with me? Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.